So we are continuing our Thinking Biblically series. We've covered most of these now. We've covered work, art, technology, time, recreation. This is our second one on speech. And then tonight we will wrap up with friendship, which has been an interesting study. And uh, this particular message on speech, we started last week going through the book of James. And so I'd like to just review without belaboring it too long, because we do have three chapters to get through in the book of James. Last week we went through the first two chapters, and we saw that this is kind of like an aviary, a place where they house a lot of birds. And so there's five different birds that we've been spotting in the aviary of James, and we will continue to spot them. They're all in chapter one, as James sets up the rest of the book and gives us an overview of what he's about to talk about. And so we'll just kind of go through these five birds and remind ourselves what we're looking for as we go through the rest of the chapters. The first one is the penguin. The penguin reminds us that we're supposed to have joyful speech in the midst of trial, and that's because penguins live in a really harsh climate, and they have no reason, uh, physically speaking, they should be happy because it's really, really cold, and there's almost no vegetation, and yet they're some of the happiest-looking creatures that I've ever seen. So uh, penguins remind us to be joyful, have joyful speech even in the midst of great trial. And then the next one is the sparrow. This reminds us that we're supposed to have humble requests to God, reminding us that God is the good giver of gifts, and he wants us to have what we need to do his work and do his will. And so we need to humbly ask him for those things. The next one is the wren, a really tiny bird, but a really loud bird. And that reminds us that we should be joyful in our speech about salvation, and we should be uh, boasting in our salvation and letting people know what a great work God has done in us. And the next one is the nightingale, which reminds us we should have wholesome speech that evidences the fact that we are saved, that evidences our salvation. And so the nightingale is a beautiful sounding bird, and it's one of the, the most beautiful bird songs is from the nightingale. And so we should have speech that demonstrates that we have a pure heart because we have pure speech. We have a wholesome heart because we have wholesome speech. And the last is the bird that we don't want to be like, which is the mockingbird. And James talks about this dichotomy, and he talks about it a lot, between things that we say and things that we do. So we say that we believe something, and yet we do something else. We say that we value one thing, and our actions betray us and show that we actually value other things. And so we want to be like the penguin. We want to be like the sparrow and the wren and the nightingale, but we don't want to be like the mockingbird. And then we briefly went through chapter 2 and saw that the mockingbird is just kind of all over the place here, that um, people were showing partiality and saying to the rich, oh, you sit in the good place, and to the poor, oh, you sit in the bad place. And he said that ought not to be so because we believe that we should love our neighbor as ourself, so we should demonstrate that in our actions. And then next he went into uh, more of a theological argument for if we have faith, if we say that we have faith, that's the words that are coming out of our mouth, but we're not demonstrating it in our actions, then it's not real faith. It's not genuine faith. It's dead faith. And so now we're moving into chapter 3. There's a brief uh, survey of last week, and it is available online if you need to go back and listen to it. And so now we're to chapter 3, and now we get to see the nightingale, which is the one that has wholesome speech that is evidencing our salvation. So let's pray before we dive into chapter 3. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this opportunity to present your word, and thank you for the book of James and its wisdom that it gives to us and its admonitions on taming our tongues and allow us to not be mocking birds this morning, 
that we wouldn't listen to and agree with uh, your word and then go out and do the opposite, but help us to instead be like the nightingale, that we would uh, want our hearts to be changed and softened and molded more into the image of Christ so that our speech would reflect him and our actions would reflect him and that they would all line up so that you might be glorified in our speech and in our deeds. And allow your word to speak clearly this morning. And we ask that for those of us who have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that he would show us these truths and uh, convict us in the areas that we need to improve. And thank you for the cross and the good news of Christ that we can be conformed to his image, that we might glorify you all the more. And so allow that to happen this morning. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So chapter 3 begins, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So here we, we have this idea that mature believers should have controlled speech. Uh, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble, he's a perfect man. And the word perfect there doesn't just mean uh, absolutely perfect, because we know that on this side of eternity we cannot ever become absolutely perfect, but it's the idea of having something that's whole, having something that's matured, that's kind of put together. And so we want to become that person, the mature person who has controlled speech, who is able to bridle his tongue. But as we're about to read, this isn't a very easy thing to do. And so we're reminded that we're supposed to be like the nightingale. We're supposed to have mature speech, controlled speech, as we get older in Christ. But we have to rely on God to tame our speech. This isn't something that we can do on our own strength. Because James goes on in verse 4 to say, Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds, but they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So our tongue physically is, is pretty small, but it can accomplish a, a lot. And it can accomplish great good. It, speeches can be used to encourage people to action. It can be used to build one another up. Uh, you can comfort a friend. And it can do a lot of great things, but it can also do a lot of damaging and harmful things. So we've seen uh, throughout the past century, a hateful speech causing great movements of people to do terrible things. Uh, we've seen uh, people hurting one another with their words. And so words are very powerful, and they can do great good, or they can do great evil. He goes on to say, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So we're seeing here that the, the tongue is like a fire, and fire stains things. I remember there was a, a lady down the street from us who had a house fire, and she was able to save her house, but all of the, the walls and the drapes and the furniture was stained by the smoke from the fire. And so it was, she had to either get it professionally cleaned, or they had to tear out all the drywall and put new walls in. And so in the same way, our speech doesn't just stain our words, it stains our whole person. When we 
have poor speech, it makes our whole person stained like how that fire stains things with smoke. And so if we have uh, a poor tongue, people don't just say, oh, you know, he's, he's a great person. He just has some trouble with his mouth. Usually they're thinking, that person's kind of mean. That person's not nice. You know, our words display our whole heart and our whole body. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So we see that our natural state isn't that we have good speech. Our natural state seems here that we have poor speech, that we have worldly unhelpful speech. And so if we're to speak like the nightingale, if we're supposed to have good words and good speech, it can't come from us naturally. It's not something we can produce. It has to be something that is the work of God, the work of this faith working itself out in us, producing wholesome speech. So we can't have this apart from the gospel and apart from Christ's work in our lives. Now the mockingbird is making his way back around. Here he's again. In verse 9, we shouldn't be double-tongued. For with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so again here we're seeing this picture of the mockingbird that it's, it doesn't work like this. You can't say a good thing and then do a bad thing. You can't say a good thing to God and then go out and say uh, bad things to people. And this is something that I think all of us struggle with at various spots in our life. For me, it's when I'm driving. Um, you know, and the other person can't always hear me because they're in another car. But, uh, you know, it's exactly what they're saying here. If we bless our Lord and Father, if I come here on Sunday morning and I sing a song of praise to God and I drive back home, or if I go out on Route 6 and someone's going too slow, um, I, can't, I can't curse them with the same mouth. It, it's not how this works. That's not good living. That's not Christ-like. And so it might be driving for you. It might be in the line at the the supermarket. If uh, somebody's taking too long and you feel like you could go a lot faster through that line, you know, there's lots of frustrating things in in our world, but we have to make sure that we are consistent in our speech and that we aren't blessing God with our mouth and then turning around and cursing people who are made in his likeness. So we don't want to be like the mockingbird. But this chapter is definitely the the chapter of the nightingale, and he makes a return, reminding us that godly wisdom is evidence of faith. And so we read in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
So godly wisdom, who's wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So we're seeing here that if someone has a pure heart, if someone is wise and understanding, that will be demonstrated in their words and in their actions. But if we look around our lives and we see instead this other list here, if we see, um, if we see uh, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and uh, every vile practice, then we know that, that there's something not right, that there's, there's something wrong with our hearts. So it could be the fact that our faith isn't genuine, or it could be the fact that we are ignoring our faith, ignoring the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe we're just unaware that this was an issue, and now that we've read the Word of God and we've looked into that mirror, as the first chapter talks about, we can deal with it and we can ask God to work in our hearts and soften that speech and change it into his likeness. So jealousy and selfish ambition are evidence of a lack of faith or a weak faith even. So now let's move into chapter 4. And in here we get to see the sparrow reminding us that quarrels are caused by a lack of humble faith. Now I think this is easily connected with what he's just talking about. And so quarrels are also a result of this selfish ambition and jealousy. And we're going to see that again. But it's interesting, the reason he says that there might be fights isn't just that, but it's that we're not asking for things in the right way. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, that last bit might seem slightly contradictory to the penguin, right? If we're supposed to be joyful, why is he saying here that we should weep and mourn and not laugh and let our joy be turned to gloom? What's that about? Well, he's saying that we need to find our joy in the right things. So we should be joyful in the midst of trial because we are believers and because it's a joy to suffer with Christ and a joy to to join with him in that. But if we are laughing and having joy because of our sin, then this is, this is not the right reason that we're supposed to have joy. And that's something to mourn over. That's something to feel very sorry about. And so if we look around and we see quarrels and fights, uh, they're caused by selfish ambition, by pride and jealousy. They're also caused because people aren't asking God in humility And so if we're asking God to show us direction in humility, he will be faithful because he's the the good father who wants to give us good things to show us that direction. If we ask God to provide for our needs, even if we think that we 
there's no possible way he could do that. We know that he is the faithful God who will provide what we need. Maybe not what we want or what we think we need, but what he thinks, what he knows that we need. And so we don't have to be jealous of other people because God has given us what he wants to give us. So we need to be like the sparrow. And James goes on talking about this. In verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. So as we're asking the question, what should our speech look like? Well, we shouldn't be speaking evil against one another. The one who speaks against a brother judges his brother. He speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and destroy. And who are you to judge your neighbor? So we shouldn't be just running around, passing judgment on one another. We should be in wisdom, helping to disciple one another and say, you know, hey, I think I might have found a blind spot in your life that you might not be seeing this. We should come in love and grace and do that, but not necessarily be running around uh, eager to pass judgment on one another. He moves in at the end of this chapter and talks about the wren. Now remember, the wren is the bird who is boasting in salvation, We see here a picture of what we're not supposed to boast in. So these are people who are boasting in the wrong thing. So don't boast in your ignorance. He says in verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. For, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So we shouldn't be boasting in what we don't know about, in arrogant ignorance that we don't know what tomorrow holds. We shouldn't be boasting in what we are going to do and our plans. We should be saying, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And so what are we boasting in there? Well, we're boasting in our faith in his providence. The fact that we know that uh, what he wills for us to do is good and that he will accomplish it. So we don't want to boast in our ignorance. And this takes us right into chapter 5. And chapter 5, I really like chapter 5. It's exciting because it's this big grand finale of the book. And we're going to see all of the birds just swarming around. And so it's going to be a little more broken up in sections. But we just see this huge cacophony of how we ought to be speaking. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back in fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And James is addressing a very specific group of people here who have made their riches on the backs of uh, people who have been disadvantaged, who have been taken advantage of by these people who have made their money. 
And he's saying this, is, this doesn't last, just like we just read, our life is a mist, a vapor. So we shouldn't be laying up treasures for here. We shouldn't be boasting in our treasures here on earth. We ought to be boasting in the things that God has laid up for us in heaven and his work in our life. So again, we need to be like the wren, and we need to be boasting in the right things. We shouldn't be boasting in the wrong things. So the right things are God's glory and his salvation working in us, his sanctification working in us. Those are the things we ought to be excited about and speaking about, not the things that are fleeting on this earth. But we live in a world where we're encouraged to boast in those things. So we have to refocus ourselves on heaven. And now we get to see the penguin again, one of my favorites. Uh, verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So we have two examples here of people who we ought to be like, who are like penguins, being joyful and steadfast in trial. Uh, Many of the prophets spoke the truth of God and did what he asked them to do, and the people still rejected the word and turned away, refused to listen, and then were exiled as a result of that. We think about the prophets are not usually uh, happy people in circumstance um, because the people of Israel refused to listen to them. So even if we are proclaiming the gospel, and even if we are trying to build one another up, and people won't listen to it, and people reject it, we can remember the prophets and still be joyful in the fact that God is using us to speak the truth into their lives and so that they've heard it and they're rejecting it, Um, but God has still used us to speak truth, and so we can be joyful as the prophets. We can be joyful as Job, because Job was afflicted, and it wasn't necessarily a direct punishment for a particular sin that he had done. And sometimes that's how... Our suffering works. Sometimes it is a consequence of our sin, but not all the times. We live in a broken world that God is pouring his wrath on, and so as a result, we live with disabled bodies, and we live with broken relationships, and we live with hurt people, and we live with futility. But all of these things are, are not the end. We have hope that God is working these things together for the good of those who love him, and were called according to his purpose. And Job uh, was restored uh, all of the things that he had been, had been taken away from him and, and more and more than even had been taken from him. And we know that whether or not we see that here on earth, God, as we read uh, last week, will, will you know, give back to us, will make good on that. We also see here the mockingbird again, just won't go away, um, in verse 12. It says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be a yes and your no be a no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. 
What James is addressing here is a practice that the people had where they could say an oath in any name except God's, and it was like crossing their fingers behind their back or, you know, uh, something like that, where they're saying saying one thing, but they know that they're not going to keep this promise. But because they haven't said it in God's name, it's okay that they don't keep their promise. That was kind of the practice of the day. And he's saying that ought not to be. Let your yes be a yes, your no be a no. If you say you're going to do something, then, you know, fulfill that promise. If you say you won't do something, then keep that vow. You know, we shouldn't be crossing our fingers behind our back, having deception in our dealings with people. So let our words uh, be true and let us keep our words. So, so far we've seen we shouldn't boast in the wrong thing. We shouldn't complain in the midst of trial. We shouldn't do that, even if we're like the prophets or like Job. And we should keep our word. Now we get to see the uh, penguin again in verse 13. And we also get to see the wren. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So we see that in suffering we ought to pray. And even as the sparrow, we ought to be asking God to provide for our needs. And if we're cheerful, we should be singing praise. And so that's what we've done this morning, is we've given you uh, an option and a, a place that you can do that, to sing praise, because God is working in your heart and saving you and sanctifying you. And so we need to rejoice and praise God for that. We need to be cheerful about that. But we also need to pray in our need. So as the sparrow, we need to ask God when we're in need. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And so we want to be like the sparrow. And this particular uh, practice seems to be uh, if someone has committed a sin that has resulted in some sort of sickness directly, that this is the procedure that we should be uh, confessing that sin and the elders come and pray and ask that God would um, work in this person's heart and that they would turn away from that sin, that they could be free from this sickness. Um, But even if we're generally sick, it's a good practice to be asking that God would heal us. We see this as a very biblical thing, but again, as we're thinking about the sparrow, we know that God's will is sometimes different than ours. So sometimes he doesn't heal a sickness. And that's part of his working this plan out for his glory and for our ultimate good, and we can trust him in that. And so we pray and we ask God, and our prayers are powerful. We think about Elijah as a punishment to Israel. He prayed that God would send a drought, and God sent the drought. And then in this amazing picture on Mount Carmel, as he uh, proves that God is real, that God is true, and that he's not a false god like Baal. He calls God to bring fire down from heaven, and it consumes the altar and the sacrifice and the water even, and proves that God is a great and powerful God. And our prayers can accomplish great things, and we shouldn't minimize that. So if we have need, 
We should be like the sparrow and pray that God's will would be done and that he would accomplish his, his plan. And then we end this book with the nightingale. We read, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so as we uh, look around and as we see people who are, who are wandering away from the gospel, from the truth of God's word, we speak truth into their lives with, lovingly. We, we show them the, the beautiful truths of God's word, like the nightingale. We want to speak that truth into their lives so that they can come back to the gospel, come back to saving faith. So in conclusion, as we think about all of these different things that we're supposed to say, that our, our words are supposed to represent, and there's a lot here, and I hope that the uh, handout is helpful for you to kind of review and see the things that we are to be saying, see the things that we aren't to be saying, and there's a lot of both. But if you have faith, speak like you have faith. Don't be a mockingbird. Be a nightingale. Be a sparrow. Be a penguin. Be uh, a wren. Boast in salvation. Have joy in trial. Speak purely, wholesomely, and let our, our faith be evident in our words. But if you're here this morning and you lack faith, you say, I don't, I don't know if I can, I can do that, or I don't even know if I have a personal relationship with Christ, well, then we need to ask for faith. It's still our words. Our words are still powerful. And God wants you to, to call on him and he is powerful, and he is a good father who gives us good things, including salvation. So I'd like to just close by reading Romans 10, 10 through 15, a reminder for all of us, even those of us who are saved, if we feel that we are lacking in our faith, this is a good thing to do. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, are they, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we should be that mouthpiece. We should be those feet proclaiming the good news of the gospel so that people can hear the good news and they can call on him and believe in him. So let our words accomplish that work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book of James and all of its instruction for us and all of its encouragement to us and help us to not look in the mirror and walk away and forget what we've seen but allow this word to be convicting and life-giving and help us to be trusting fully in you for the power to speak well Allow our minds and our hearts, our thoughts to be focused on Christ. Thank you for sending Christ to us and for pouring your wrath out on him and for 
him resurrecting from the dead, that we might have a newness of life, and help us to be so focused on him and so enraptured and caught up in his glory that we would want to be like him and that we would be asking daily that you would make us more and more like him, especially in the words that we say, because we know that they're powerful and they can do a lot of good or a lot of harm. So help us to be people who have good words that accomplish your will. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.